Thanks so much, Kate. And thank you so much, Jordan and Katie. Jordan, that was so good. I mean, I don't know if you, like, I have a deep love for the Jewish roots of our faith. And so if you heard some of that, there's just so many tie-ins. You know that um, a lot of times we, we do connect the Old Testament with the New Testament. And the reason for that is I heard a guy get up one day and a Christian teacher, and he said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And then he said, everyone repeat after me. And so just try it. Ready? Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. And then what you just said is, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone, there is one God. And then you go on and you say, and I will love the Lord with all my heart and with all my mind and with all my strength. And it makes so much sense when you start to see the way that the scriptures play out because so many of the scriptures are pictures. And the way we talk about God is, oh man, God's so awesome. And I'm like, okay, draw me a picture of awesome. And the way the Bible works, it says, oh, God is like the shade at my right hand in the noonday sun. Oh, well, now that we might could draw. Or God is like a rock. He's my fortress. He's my refuge. The Lord will guard you with his wings and cover you with his pinions. And so I think when we see, especially as New Testament believers, when we see the ties of the Old Testament, it helps us to really understand the New Testament and all the pictures that are in there. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to zip through two chapters of the book of Revelation. We're going to fly at not like 30,000 feet, but at like 45,000 feet. You're going to need to put your oxygen mask on and we're going to take off and go. My goal with this series, and we do have a podcast, we put it out every week. It's, uh, it, so if you miss a week, you can catch up. My goal with this series, among other things, is to give you handles to be able to pick up this book and take it with you so that you can dig in. It is one of the most misunderstood books, one of the most least read books, one of the most avoided books in the Bible. And so what happened last week? We understood this is the revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so it's unveiling two things. It's unveiling more of who Jesus is. If your thoughts of Jesus stop with him on the cross on Good Friday, you do not have the full picture of him. If your thoughts of Jesus stop with him walking out of the tomb, risen from the dead, meeting Mary Magdalene and saying, go and tell the brothers that I am alive, you have not seen the full revelation of Christ. And so this book reveals the rest of who Christ is. It tells us the rest of his story. And it also is a revelation of what he will do. That word revelation also means apocalypse, which means the unveiling. And so he's unveiling not just himself, but he's also unveiling what he's going to do. And so we got that introduction. And then there is a letter uh, at the first part, chapters two and three, to seven literal churches. And so we said, this book can't mean anything to us that it didn't mean to them. And yet it can, we can dig deeper and see, well, what, what else is in here? So this is a real letter written to seven real churches. That is chapters one, two, and three. And now we get into chapter four. And so I'm going to zip through chapter four. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to put up a, like, the throne room of heaven. And then we'll put up the next slide for each section. We'll have, Christian, go ahead and put up the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that right? No. There we go. Okay. So 
there will be one of these for every section, and it'll say a title, and then it'll have the chapter and the verses, and then the next slide, we'll, we'll just go back and do these in reverse in a second, Christian. Um, she's being very nice with me. The next slide will have all the things that are in that section, and then the next slide, for you like Bible nerds out there, is going to be a bunch of cross-references. I flew at like 30,000 feet, and I came up with, I think, 39 cross-references for these two chapters, all Old Testament references. So that's another reason this book is so little understood because it is the most quoted book of the Old Testament that there is in the New Testament. So let's go back, Christian, to the very first part, Revelation 4 and 5, the throne room of God. And then I'm going to read verse 1 and we're going to roll right in verses 2 through 11. After this, so after the letters to the churches, John looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And so this is a clue in how to read this book. John hears and writes down these seven revelations to seven churches, and then you have to pay attention to every word in this book. After this, I looked. So he's done writing. Now he's up looking. He's looking, and what does he see? He's going to look up, and he's going to see a door standing open in heaven. So there's a suspended door of some sort. It's open in heaven. And the first voice, the one that I heard speaking to me like the sound of a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So now we're about to get a glimpse into the future. So he's written these things to the churches. This is how churches are supposed to respond. And then he's like, hey, come up here. And that's a quote from Exodus chapter 19, how God's voice sounds like a trumpet. He says, come up here, and I want to invite you in, and I want to give you a window into what is going to happen. Now, we are going to see at warp speed what he saw. So, verse 2. So, here we go. Uh, we're going to have several things in this section. You're going to see the throne of God. You're going to see colors. You're going to see a rainbow. You're going to see 24 elders. You're going to see lightning and peals of thunder. There have been songs written about this part. You're going to see four living creatures. They are going to continue into the next chapter, and you're going to see worship. So, let's take a look. Oh, and if you want to take a picture of this next one, here are all the, here are all the cross-references. There you go. Knock yourself out. And if you, if you do any study in Revelation, you'll be like, he didn't give us all of them. Um, there's so many. So here we go. Verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit. So he's going through the door. And behold, a throne stood in heaven. So the first thing he sees when he goes through the door is this throne. So John is catapulted up into heaven in the Spirit. The first thing he notices is the throne. That's what he's writing down here. He's writing down the first things he sees. What does he see first? He sees the throne. And, and the throne is seated. There's one seated on the throne. So he sees the throne. And then it's almost like he's looking up and he sees someone seated on the throne. And he who sat there, verse 3, had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I'm going to pause right there. So what does he see? He sees this being that is basically the colors of red and orange. That is, that is an image of a fiery being. So there's this fiery being. That's a sign of holiness. If you think back to uh, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne. And what happens? His lips are touched with a hot coal. Uh, why? Because he can't be near the Lord. He has to be purified. What does a fire do? It purifies. So there's all kinds of symbolism there. But because we're flying at 35, 45, maybe 50,000 feet now, I'm going to let you dig into all the symbols. And there's a bunch 
But this is not the first time in the Bible this took place. If you look back at your references, and I hope you took them, and I bet you will from now. You'll take pictures. If you look back at those references, you'll see an Old Testament inference of when another time that red and yellow were used to illustrate the throne of God. So he sees this being on a throne, and then he notices, he kind of pans out. It's like, fellas, if you like saw that girl and you were like, at first, I saw her feet. And then I stepped back and I was like, she's glowing. What a sight. And then you step back further and you're like, and she has hair. This is wonderful. Like, it's like, it's like, like he's like taking a step back. Maybe you'll find out that she has a name and a personality. It'll be awesome. Um, and so, like, so he, he steps back and he sees this rainbow around the throne. Now, how does a rainbow go around the throne? Now, that's part of the mystery of the book of Revelation. You have to think about the signs. And if you think all of a sudden you can like, oh, I can explain that, probably try again. Like a lot of people have explained them. In fact, your favorite preachers, I bet I could put, put, get everybody's favorite preachers. And if I was to make a list, you would think they all thought the same on the book of Revelation. We could have one list over here of the preterist, one list over here of the futurist, one list of the confused in the middle. Like we could have all kinds of lists. This is an interesting image, though, because where else does a rainbow occur? In the book of Genesis. And what is the rainbow? The rainbow is a sign of promise. It's a hope. If you know the story, every time it rains, we're getting into the spring when there's like thunder and lightning and it rains. And if you see one of those rainbows and you know the story of the flood, you know God will never destroy the whole earth again by a flood. You see it and you see a promise. And what's in that promise? There's security and there's hope. Now think about this. He sees a throne and it's daunting. On the throne is this fiery looking figure surrounding the fiery looking figure is the hope of rescue. This is a throne of mercy and yet great power. He sees all that in a vision. And you say, why does it just say that? It does. It says it in pictures and you'll remember the pictures. And so he goes on. And around the throne were 24 thrones, verse four, <clears throat> and seated on the thrones, were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, there was as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. I'll start at the end and, and maybe work my way backwards. I was reading one commentary and the, the commentator said that the sea of glass, which is used in the book of 1 Kings, that's one, that was one of your references up there. In the book of 1 Kings, it talks about how they were building the, the, the temple for the Lord and they put a sea, they called it a sea of glass in front of it. It's this, it's this really ornate thing in front of the altar of God, the ark of God. But one commentator said, it's the floor of heaven and the ceiling of earth. And it's this cool moment where the throne of God may very well be the floor of heaven and the ceiling of earth, where heaven and earth meet is in this crazy moment and powerful place. And so, and out of that is coming rumbles of thunder and peals of thunder and lightning is coming from this throne. And so we know it's kind of like Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Is he safe? 
No, he is not safe, Mrs. Beaver said, but he's good. And that is what we see in this moment. We do not see a God who is safe. Think about that the next time you pray something like, hey, God, what's up? Stop. Know who you're talking to. This man is not, this God is not safe. But is he good? Clearly he is. He invited John into his throne room. There's the ring of hope and promise and protection surrounding him. So this is this picture of God the Father. And not only that, but there are elders, 24. And why 24? There's all kinds of speculation on why 24. Um, I'm going to go with this, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong on several things, uh, but this is one that I'm willing to roll the dice on. I think it probably represents the 12 tribes of of Israel and the 12 apostles, whether it's exactly them or not, although I think it is because Jesus talked to them about that. I think it represents the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers all coming together in perfect order, and they're all around the throne, and they are worshiping. So you've got 24 elders, you've got lightning, you've got thunder, you've got all these things, uh, and then you've got the Spirit of God, and it says seven torches, and the seven means complete, it's perfect. So the perfect Spirit of God is also emanating around this throne. What an incredible moment, and I think John is just jaw-dropped and blown away. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, there are also four living creatures. Remember, he's seeing these things one after the other after the other. After he sees all these things, hears the thunder, sees the lightning. Then he notices there are four living creatures. He knows they're living, but he also knows they're not God. And what about these creatures? They're full of eyes in the front and behind. The first living creature has the face like a lion. Notice the word like. The second living creature has the face like an ox. Notice the word like. It's like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. This is important. It changes. He says, I saw one with a face like an ox, one with a face like a lion, and then I saw the face of a man. One of those is definitely the face of a man. And then one had a, a face like an eagle in flight, and the four creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, if you know your Bible, this is a clear reference to Isaiah chapter 6, but it's also a clear reference to to, to Daniel and a couple of other places, and we see this powerful deal living out in the Old Testament, coming to life again in the New Testament. This is not a completely new vision. Other people God has chosen throughout history to see this same thing. There have been others invited into his throne room, and they see this God, the same one you pray to when you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yes it is. The power, yes it is. And the glory, yes it is forever, amen. When you say that prayer, this is who you're talking to. Next thing you're like a little low on your bank account and you're like, give us this day our daily bread. Like, If he wants to do it, he can do it. And if he doesn't want to do it, he's got a real good reason. But he's got like, there's not like a lack of power here. It made me think about those. Sometimes I pray for dumb things like a parking space. And I was like, maybe I should just hold off on some of those. But I still pray for those. Um, 
and for traffic to get better while I'm driving, and for that one person to move, um, you know. But anyway, it's just so powerful to see who it is we're talking to, and it's holy, holy, holy. And so I think these four creatures are four angels, and they represent the creative nature of God. It's this representation of all these things that God has made. Really, all the creatures on, on, in heaven and on earth is representative in these four angels. Now, let's just pause real quick. Heather and I had the opportunity to go hang out with Katie Dickens and her family this past weekend. Her dad is like a Bible scholar. And I said, like, we were trapped on the back porch at the beach. And I said, tell me more about Revelation. And I thought he would be like, I don't know. But he was like, what do you want to know? And, like, we had like this incredibly long conversation. It was really great. And like the man is a walking revelation encyclopedia, really knowledgeable. And uh, I said, Heather and I were talking to him and we said, what about the four creatures? And he said, the four creatures, you know, there's going to be four angels later on that are going to destroy a third of the stars in the sky in the book of revelation. They're going to take out a third of the people, just four angels. He said, you know what Jesus said when he was on the cross, when he was about to go to the cross after Peter chopped that guy's ear off? I said, what? And I knew what he said, but it didn't matter. I wanted to hear. I was like, tell me more. And he said, Jesus said, I could call thousands upon thousands of angels to my rescue if I wanted to. And it only took four to knock the world off its axis. And so holy, 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 these four creatures are calling out. They're super powerful. What does it take for somebody like that to wrap themselves up in their wings and call out holy, holy, holy? And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God. And what, does they say? what do they say he is worthy of? To receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Then, chapter five, then John's gonna see the right hand of God He's noticed all these other things, and now he's going to be like, wait, what's in your hand? And so the, the vision continues, the revelation continues, and John's going to notice the one who is seated on the throne, a scroll is written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll and to look into it. And so in this section, we see the right hand of God. We see, we see a scroll and we hear a call of who is worthy from this angel, who is worthy to open this. So something's big here. This is not like this is not like the iPhone 14 or something. Like this is bigger. This is a, whatever is in his hand is a big deal. And he's, he's noticed it after noticing all these many other things that we've just discussed. And he looks. And when he looks, and, and then we go ahead and show um, the, yeah, so I've got two references here for this one. He's going to look, and let's leave this up for just a second. He's going to look and he's going to see a scroll, and the scroll is going to be sealed. This is not the first time in the Bible we've seen this scroll. In a fascinating look back at the book of Daniel, Daniel saw a scroll written on the front and written on the back and was sealed up. And the reason it was sealed up was God said, Daniel, seal it up and do not read it. This is to be revealed at the end of time. 
here is the scroll. And I think John knew that's the scroll. In my Hebrew classes as a kid, I learned about that scroll, and that's the scroll. And the angel stands up and says, who is worthy, not who is able? Who is worthy to open the scroll? In Roman culture, anyone of rank was able to open something. This is different than able, although the word able is going to be used in here. This is who is worthy to open the scroll and to knock off the seven seals. And John is so caught up in the moment. What we see is in verse 4, he says, he says, and, uh, I'm sorry, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders, he's so caught up in the moment, he's weeping because there's this scroll in, the, in, in God's hand and nobody can open it. And he knows it's going to be the revelation of what is to come, which means the glory of God's people, the glory of God, and the recompense of the wicked. He's like, there's got to be something to who can open it. So he begins to weep loudly. And in verse 5, one of the elders, of the, one of those 24 elders said to him, weep no more, John. Behold, here comes the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so in this next section, we're going to go Revelation 5 verses 4, I think through 10, or four, just 4 and 5. I changed that. I made that short. There's gonna, we're going to find out there is one who is worthy. I just read those two, so let's keep going just so people can keep, get their notes. There we go. Behold, the Lamb of God, verses 6 through 10. What we're going to see in this section is not what you think. He says, look, behold, the lion is coming. There's a lion who can open this. That makes total sense. And then follow with me, verse 6 through 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures... And among the elders, so whatever this thing is that's coming to open it, walks between the throne and those four angels. Like casual, like you've got to have some great authority to walk between the throne of God and the four angels. So this lion of Judah is going to walk between them. And we obviously know this is talking about Jesus. And it says, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of, the, of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This little lamb, the Passover lamb, walks between the throne and the four creatures, and he grabs the scroll. Now, how does a lamb grab hold of anything? I think he picked it up in his mouth. And obviously, I wasn't there, and that's just conjecture. How does a lamb look slain and yet be alive? This lamb has the marks 
of a knife across its neck, and there is blood on its wool. Why pick a lamb? In Revelation 1, we saw Jesus in the triumphant state with bronze feet and a sword for a tongue and fire for eyes and white hair like the ancient of days in the priest robe. And now in Revelation 5, we see a lamb. Because once again, at the throne of God is the picture of mercy. Twice, we see the picture of a God who is great in mercy with a rainbow around the throne showing that God is the sign of hope for those who have passed through the waters. With the lamb standing before God who is the sign of hope for all who have placed their trust in him, death passes over them. That is the Passover lamb. But make no mistake, this lamb is no pushover. Did you see the description? There are seven horns on this lamb. In, your, in the references that you've got with the seven horns and the seven eyes, you'll see there's a Deuteronomy reference and a Psalm 89 reference and a Daniel 7, 7 reference. When you see seven horns, it means perfect power. And so while this lamb may look innocent and previously hurt, this lamb will never be hurt again. This is the lamb of perfect power. He is omnipotent, and he is also omniscient. He has seven eyes, which means nothing escapes his view. He sees all, and he sees to the heart of us. Also, what did he do? He picked up the scroll, which means, and we're going to see this scroll revealed. Next week, we're going to see the four horsemen, the famous four horsemen. When he pops open the seals to this scroll, this same lamb who is the promise of hope for many, will be the sure sign of the justice of God to maybe many more. This is the lamb who brings both hope and who brings both judgment. He is going to be the one who ushers in the end of days. That's what this scroll is. This is the same Jesus you read about. It was friend of prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. It's the same Jesus who turned water into wine. In that moment, he was the suffering servant. In this moment, he is the just judge. And what happens when he takes the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb and they're each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So when these four creatures and 24 elders see the lamb take the scroll, they know that the judgment of God is not far away and the end of things is not far away. And I don't mean that symbolically. I mean that literally. Don't get too comfortable with where you are. It won't last forever. This is not the new heavens and the new earth. These are old rags that will be thrown away one day and replaced with something much greater. And this lamb, when he takes the scroll, the elders fall down. And what happens? The prayers of the saints spill out before him. 
How many prayers do you have do you think are going to spill out before him? These are prayers for the kingdom of God. These are prayers for relief from persecution. These are prayers for the persecuted. These are prayers to be used by God. Hear my Lord, send me. These are the prayers of the saints that spill out before him. And I want your prayers to be counted in those bowls. I want you to be the people who pray those kinds of prayers and they spill out before the Lord. And then they sing that song, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. So right now we have 24 elders and we have four creatures that sing the first chorus. And then in verse 11, John looks and he hears around the throne. He looks and he hears the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. And I can't imagine what the decibels are. I can't imagine what noise that was. But he hears with a very loud voice. Now you have, you have the 24 elders. You have the four angels. You have thousands and thousands of other angels joining in. You can imagine if the people on, on like American Idol and other, like America's Got Talent and all the America things, if they get goosebumps when people do something really cool, you can imagine old John here is like a prickly pear. He's like, he's like, what is happening? Like his eyebrows are standing up. I mean, he is like, this is a moment. And they sing, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then John hears again every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, so be it. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. There's one thing I want to bring, and then I'm going to have Will come up and close us out. I don't know if you see the crescendo of worship, but it starts with a few, and then it builds. And by the end, everybody is worshiping. This is no universal text, folks. It does not mean we all get the chance to be like, oh, yeah, now I see Jesus, and I'll worship him. No, no, no. This is the end of the end. Chapter 5 is the end of the end. At 6, we're going to back up and we're going to see how the end of the end gets here. This is the end of the end in chapter 5. The end of the end of the end. Like, all we got to do is have a new heaven and a new earth, and like, we're done. So we're like, almost the end of the end of the end. But in chapter 6, we're going to back up and see how we got there. But what we just fast-forwarded through was what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some will bow out of their gratitude and out of the sovereignty of God, and some will bow out of being commanded. But everybody's going to confess. And I think the great question to ask yourself is, which, which type of confession, if that were to happen today, if we were called home to stand before the Lord, which type of confession would you give the one where you're like, now I see and I was wrong. And now I face the judgment of God. Or like Paul said, I knew you on earth. But it was like seeing in a mirror dimly and now I see you face to face. And it's better than I ever could have imagined. Which type of confession would you give? We have thrones of, of might 
in this passage. We have a God of mercy, a God of power, a God of comfort by some or for some, but a God of acknowledgement by all. Don't read these last lines wrong. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Not everyone says that because they believed it on earth. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day. The question is, will it be out of comfort because he saved you or out of acknowledgement because he made you? There's more, much more that I want to say, but I won't, but I will end with this. I think that Satan sings a lullaby. And I think he tries to rock us all to sleep. And I think he says, you got time? Live your life. Care for yourself. Seek your own. And the vast majority are lulled to sleep. And the thoughts of Revelation 4 and 5 are a far, far off, maybe one day, someday type of fuzzy dream. But this is the revelation of what will happen. And no one knows the day or the hour. And so I hope as we worship, you'll contemplate this. Maybe there's someone you need to pray for. Maybe there's something you need to pray about. But we've got a little longer worship set on the end tonight versus the, 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 the two-song close usually that we have. And it'll give you a, a moment to think and pray and wrestle with the Lamb who is worthy and the great powerful yet saving God who is on the throne. Pray with me. Father, I ask that you would move in our hearts, move in our lives, and I ask that you would... Help us to capture this moment and to not, be, to not be lulled to sleep by Satan's lies that we have time and we should just take care of ourselves and do our thing and forget about Revelation 4 and 5 and the throne room of God that we will all face one day. Lord, speak to us now in this time. Move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.